Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Hey, is anyone still listening to me? (laughs) Sorry, guys. It's been so long since an episode. This last couple of weeks has been uh, rather interesting. Um, I've actually been off of work for the last week. I had my spring break here at school. But the week before that, when I should have been getting this episode ready for release... I had a rather interesting week. Um, I actually interviewed for a new job. Wait, didn't you just get a new job? Yes, I did. But I have decided to move on from what my career has been, which has been in education, to something where I feel I am, I don't know, maybe better set up for or a place of deeper passion for me, something that I really just feel wired for. And uh, no, I'm not going to be a professional shed hunter, (laughs) but I've actually taken a job working at a prairie farm. That's right. A farm that raises prairie grass to uh, help farmers with CRP projects or folks who want to just put in a backyard prairie plot. And uh, really with uh, the goal of uh, getting some more prairie on the landscape here in one of the original prairie states. And uh, it's a a type of habitat that is nearly gone from our map in a lot of the places where it once was. And uh, it's something that uh, was just a unique opportunity that that I uh, pursued. And uh, so I was uh, busy uh, working on that. Put in a couple of days of work already. Don't worry, I'm not ditching my school before the end of the school year. Uh, we will, uh, uh, I will complete this year of teaching, of course, and uh, um, you know things will things will uh, go on as normal here for a few more months, and then I will uh, transition into this new uh, career. So uh, I'm very excited about the opportunity that that this allows for me. Uh, But all that to say, it's been kind of, uh, you know, a little bit here and there uh, for the last couple of weeks, getting everything set up for that. And uh, also, um, you know, when it's spring break. I try to practice what I preach a little bit here on the podcast. I try to get outside and have some fun. I try to spend a lot of time with my family. And so I did just that. Uh, If you saw on a recent uh, Instagram post that I made, uh, I kind of talked about that a little bit. Jake and I went and did some camping out and shed hunting. I'm sure we'll talk about it on a uh, episode of Hunt Therapy here soon. Um, Did a bunch of more shed hunting with a new friend and... um, did uh, some projects on the house, went to a really cool museum with my family, went and visited other family, spoke at a couple different events. Yeah, it's just been kind of a whirlwind here lately, but 
All that to say, here I am back on the airwaves just a little bit later than normal, a little bit tardy, but uh, it is a dynamite episode, Um, one that I'd been stewing on for quite some time, and two incredible guests, guests that I sincerely hope I can have back on the podcast at some point, Mr. Amos Medford of the Wannabe Hunting Podcast. Just a great guy, a fellow first-gen hunter. He's got a story quite similar to my own in many ways. And then another first-gen hunter, Mr. Josh Hilliard of First Light. And uh, both guys, as I said, fellow first-geners, guys who can uh, relate to the <laughs> the hardship, the gaffes, the the things that we later shake our head at, just the, the, the challenge of breaking into the hunting scene as a first-gen hunter, but also the incredible feeling of accomplishment and um, just, just the rewarding, uh, boy, how do you say it? Maybe the rewarding sentiment that goes along with those moments when we do finally find success. We're going to talk all about it here in this episode of the podcast. Uh, So if I keep rambling, I'm going to actually be doing you a disservice because I'm preventing you from getting to the good stuff. So let's go here. Let's roll into it on this episode of the First Gen Hunter podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and for your patience and waiting for me to get going. Please, if you haven't yet, Tell a friend about this podcast, and let's keep the good vibe rolling here for first-gen hunters. All right, now I'll stop talking. Let's go. Episode 84, presented by Spartan Forge, here on the First Gen Hunter Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I have an uncle who used to do some hunting when uh, he was a much younger fellow, uh, way back when. He's, uh, well, let's see now, how old is Uncle Dan? Uncle Dan, I believe, is uh, around 85-ish, we'll say, getting close to that. And uh, he is he is a legendary storyteller. I mean, if I could, uh, if I could share all the Uncle Dan stories that I was told through my growing up years, uh, this would quickly no longer be a hunting podcast. It would be a you know just a straight like comedy podcast. I'd have to I'd have to change my sanitized podcast. Uh, you know how like uh, Apple or iTunes makes you like put a podcast in a certain category. Uh, so wilderness is like the closest they get to a hunting uh, theme on uh, iTunes. So I'd have to change my wilderness setting to like comedy if I started telling all my Uncle Dan stories. But one of my favorite Uncle Dan stories has to do with me. I was a part of it. I've I've well established on the show before that I've always been in you know, interested, intrigued, however you want to say it, with hunting. And part of that was because of Uncle Dan. Uncle Dan used to spin all kinds of yarns and tall tales about how he used to be just an avid skunk hunter. And, uh, (laughs) you know, it, it, it was easy to believe because, uh, Uncle Dan, uh, lives in a house in, uh, Wisconsin that is very much so in the middle of nowhere. Uh, they had an outhouse when I was a kid and, uh, 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 still a, you know, an outhouse that you used 
I think, uh, uh, I don't know if the last time I was there, I think a strong wind may have done the outhouse in, but, uh, it definitely had all the makings for, you know, believing a guy that says he's an avid skunk hunter <laughs> all the, uh, contextual clues were there, I guess you would say, but, uh, he had this one particular night, he had my sister and I just going, I mean, he's talking about, he's talking about getting out and getting the flashlights out and getting a gun and we're going to go outside and we're, he started telling us about his favorite, like skunk stew recipe or whatever you know i'm still a pretty little guy i'm probably like uh the age of my son now you know probably around that that four years old mark and uh, i'm just listening to this man and i'm just getting charged up i've been wanting to go hunting i this is my chance we're finally going to go skunk hunting with uncle dan you know we're kind of off in the side room where he's telling us his story and all the other aunts and uncles and my parents and grandparents are all in the other room talking and finally, it just gets to the point, all right, well, let's get the flashlights. Let's uh, head outside and let's go shoot a skunk. We'll bring it back and we'll cook it, you know, start having that conversation. So I kind of like bolt out of this side room, you know, I'm, I, again, I'm charged up. I'm ready to go. And I know right where the guns are stored because, you know, every little boy is obsessed with a couple different things. If you're not obsessed with tractors or trucks and cars, you're probably obsessed with guns, knives and swords and all that kind of stuff. I was definitely that kid. So I knew where the guns were and I like, this is my chance. You know, I shoot over to that, that, uh, cabinet and I grabbed the first gun that looked like it was a, you know, a, a four-year-old sized gun. <laughs> I still don't know what caliber it was, but I sure did see every adult in that room jolt out of their chair like they'd been struck by lightning. It was uh, it was quite the uh, <laughs> quite the moment, and I quickly had that gun pried out of my hands, and that was as close as I ever got to skunk hunting. But uh, why do I tell that story? Well, I think it paints a picture for. Uh, folks like myself and the two fine gentlemen that are joining me on this episode uh just how passionate uh, that that burning that burning desire to get out and go hunting can be for people even at a pretty young age and uh thankfully the good news is you know once i uh once i uh start being old enough to call my own shots i was able to get out and uh partake and uh, you'll get to hear a little bit more about that tonight but i'm not the i'm not the main subject tonight you guys get to hear about me often enough tonight i am joined by mr amos medford of the wannabe hunting podcast from the uh not frozen land of florida right now it is really really cold um my podcasting room actually i have a i have a thermometer on the the wall behind me and uh it's been hovering right around 60 degrees i think it dipped down to to below below 60 last night you know it's an old farmhouse with uh radiators and everything doesn't doesn't quite get so warm up here but it's uh it's pretty chilly here uh pretty warm down there in florida though huh amos yes sir i'm uh, pretty sure we hit 70 today so it was it was nice Man, that's that is that is uh, uh, envious or enviable this time this time of year here in Iowa. But the other guy on the line can relate to my struggles, and that would be Mr. Josh Hilliard of First Light Hunting, First Light Hunting Gear out in uh, based out of uh, Bozeman, if I'm not mistaken, right, Josh? Uh, they're out of Haley, Idaho. Haley, Idaho. That's right. I knew they were from Idaho. Yep. yep. So. 
I'll have to edit that and make myself not sound stupid. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I'm I'm uh, just tickled to have Josh and Amos on the the show with me tonight, and uh, two really just really good guys that are a lot of fun to follow on social media. Ton of passion for uh, what they do, and uh, you know what? From a outside observer standpoint, two guys that are pretty good at uh, getting it done out in the out in the woods. So especially for a couple of first fellow first gen hunters. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, I, th- I think it would probably be helpful for our guests to maybe explain that a little bit more, you know, what exactly you guys do. So let's go ahead and start with Josh and uh, Josh, I know. So we just mentioned the first light thing and you, you can talk about that a little bit more here in a second, but uh, like what your role is with them and everything. But uh, I believe you also used to do some uh, work with uh uh, National Deer Association, formerly uh, Quality Deer Management Association, joined with National Deer Alliance. Um, but you, you kind of like live and breathe hunting now, man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a it's been a whirlwind since uh, I, I got into hunting and really kind of changed the, the the course of my life and what I'm doing for career wise and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later. But yeah, I was with. Um, uh, at the time, Quality Deer Management Association or QDMA, and then uh, about the last year, year and a half, I was with them. Uh, that we had merged with the National Deer Alliance and became the National Deer Association. So I was a, a regional director for them. So mm. I, I would, uh, did a lot of work with our branches and our volunteers um, on grassroots projects. Um, so volunteer type projects, fundraising, all that kind of stuff. Um, and like the Great Lakes region, uh, was my primary region. It's like, I, I live in Michigan. Um, so I feel you on the cold weather. My, <laughs> I, my office is in like a bonus room above the garage. Oh. I've had a space, re- I've had a space heater running for like 20 minutes and I'm up to 63 degrees. So it's getting there. But, uh, um, yeah, you know, the, you know, the struggle, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I did that and, um, role changed there slightly, uh, after, um, the merger, um, essentially became like a, an assistant director of grassroots and oversaw a much larger territory. Part of that was just a new job role. Part of that was some downsizing, um, during the, the pandemic kind of yeah. hit all the nonprofits hard. And, and unfortunately we had to downsize some of our staffing. Um, and then this past July, uh, was offered a position over at, uh, first light as their whitetail community manager. Um, awesome. so I'm, in their marketing team now that that's working specifically with like our whitetail uh, pro team and, and some of the whitetail marketing and, and product line stuff with the uh, whitetail product line manager kind of being like a, a conduit between our pro team and, and the product team um, as well as working on some, uh, you know, content projects and things like that uh, on the whitetail side um, for first light. It's been awesome. It's been a, a good change for me and, and uh, feel very fortunate to be in that role. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I was going to kind of, you kind of answered my question there a little bit at the end, but I got to imagine a lot of people look at what you do uh, for a job and, and uh, you know, how you, what gets considered like <laughs> an actual work event, you know. Technically, you could probably <laughs> yeah. justify almost anything to do with hunting as being work-related, but but um, do you really feel like you're living the dream when, when you oh, consider man. what you're doing for a job? <laughs> I, I, I pinch myself every day when I get That's up and awesome. walk down the hallway to my office and, you know, very, very fortunate to get to work from home. I, I did that in my previous role too. Um, but just, just, uh, 
working from home in itself is is one thing, but then get, getting to you know go on hunts and and do different things that I just never thought I would ever be able to consider work is is pretty awesome. And, and really, that's been my last two two positions. I mean, to be able to to do some of the things I've I've been fortunate enough to do, it's it's been pretty awesome and, and meet some amazing people along the along the way too. It's uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a dream job for sure. Yeah, that's that's really cool, and um, I believe you're a family guy too. Is that correct? Yep, yep. Married and got a, a two and a half year old boy at home. That's awesome, man. That's that's so cool. You get a you get a work at home and hopefully get. I mean, obviously work's got to get done, of course, but oh, yeah. but uh, you know, you, I've been doing a lot of thinking, and I think a lot of this comes out of what we all just went through with the pandemic. You know, um, as far as what what does it mean to be human and you know what what is the role of community what is the role of working at work versus working at home and it, you know how does that fit into the history of our our species really you know and uh yeah i think that that uh our ancestors um probably had things figured out a little bit better as far as, you know, the work-life balance goes. And a lot of that work was done around home. And uh, it's kind of cool to see just how that has expanded. And, you know, certainly people were already doing that before the pandemic came, but but uh, it's really definitely, you know, been a major increase, major increase. There's so oh, yeah. many people I know now that, that uh, that's home as their office and but what that allows yep. for, I think, is is uh, hopefully stronger families down the road. That'd be that'd be a, a really nice side effect of an otherwise kind of <laughs> really challenging point in world history. So, oh, that's awesome, and uh, definitely, I'd be pinching myself too. That's a that's a really cool <laughs> that's a really cool role, and and uh, definitely deserving though as well. You've uh, you've uh, worked hard to get there, so that's that's really cool. Thank you. And uh, Amos, man. Not not just uh, soaking up those sun rays in Florida and uh, shooting your bow all day long. I believe uh, you're uh, you work for an electrical company or as an electrician or something along those lines. Is that correct? Yes, sir. I uh, I work at an electric company. We uh, you know wire uh, commercial, residential, industrial, the whole deal. And uh, I'm actually um, in the office, uh, kind of on the uh, the coordinating side, estimating side, um, it's it's a good situation. It's it's a very small company, um, you know, kind of family owned, family operated type deal, and uh, it's it's a blessing. Not not quite working from home, but uh, and it's it's great. I don't have to uh, I don't have to worry about whether or not a computer algorithm says I have time off or whatever. I can uh, I can run home for a long lunch or whatever if we need it. It's uh it's really really great. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good, man. And, uh, do you ever get, do you have to deal with like any, uh, angry customers ever since you're uh, working in the office? Yeah, occasionally, probably the biggest thing I get, I'm actually the one who sends, um, a lot of the quotes and stuff by email. Mm. Occasionally you'll send, you know, a change order or something and then immediately the phone rings and it's the superintendent like, Oh, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. That part of that, that customer service part of doing things. That's, that's never easy. Our house is actually, uh, in the, we're in like the final stages. Like I basically just have to make that, that send that text or make that phone call be like, Hey, can you come out and do these last 
you know, five, six things. And then we'll be able to put a bow on our big rewiring of our house project that started back in, in July. And man, <laughs> it actually feels pretty good to be at this point. We still got a few holes in the ceiling and walls and stuff that we got to fix. But for the most part, <laughs> for the most part, the dust is settling and, and, uh, our house, we don't have to worry about our house burning down from, you know, old knob and tube wiring from back when, uh, Teddy Roosevelt was in office or however long ago it's from, but <laughs> no, it's a, that's a, that's a cool job, but, uh, that's, that's not, that's not why we brought you on tonight. We brought you on because of what you do with, uh, your podcast, the wannabe hunting podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, I've only been hunting about, about five years and, um, you know, just, just really, uh, diving into podcasts and YouTube and everything, trying to learn and, uh, I had some, you know, had some pretty specific inspiration from a couple guys in particular, but just uh, really wanted to try my own podcast where I could ask the questions and, um, you know, try to learn, try to learn how to, how to do this uh, hunting thing. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. You know what? I like that part that you said there about being the one to ask the questions. Uh, That, that has been the biggest benefit of doing this you know is uh you get these experts sitting sitting down on you know an hour and a half long phone call and just picking their brain you know just earlier this week i was i was interviewing uh uh, todd bogenschutz he's the upland biologist for the state of iowa and, and talking to him about quail for an hour and a half you know how cool is that that guy there's 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 you'd be hard to find you'd have a hard time finding a guy in Iowa who knows more about the quail here than Todd and here here I get his ear for you know an hour and a half and so much got to learn from that and everything just just a really cool opportunity so yeah man i i'm right there with you it's fun being the one getting to ask the questions but you know yeah. speaking awesome. Yeah, for sure. And and speaking of asking questions, I figured it'd be kind of fun to, uh, you know, break the mold on what what a standard interview would be like for for this type of show, with uh, you know me me picking your guys' brains about uh, what you're what you think on a few hot button issues and telling me your story. I mean, we'll definitely do that, but I thought it'd be kind of fun to break out of the mold a little bit and let's kind of go ahead and fast forward to the end sort of right to, to current times. And, uh, you know, I said earlier, all three of us were able to, um, you know, successfully tag bucks this year. And, uh, Josh, I believe you uh, even uh, tagged a few of them and, uh, you know, I thought it might be kind of fun to hear those stories from uh, this year on uh, on your tag bucks. So, uh, Josh, you want to start us out, man? I saw, I think it was, was it two bucks that you uh, you uh, had down this year? I killed, I killed three, uh, three this year. Man. Um, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> another thing I got to pinch myself about, it was, it was my <laughs> best year ever by far. Yeah, that's um, that's really cool. A couple of those were were work related trips, trips, and then uh, one was like my own personal hunt. And sure, um, fortunately, I did not fill. I didn't fill any tags in in my home state this year in Michigan. I just was on the road so much. I didn't get a ton mm. of time to to hunt it. Um, hunted a bit, just uh, just never all came together. And you know, got into the holidays. Was hoping to try to fill a doe tag or two in the in the late season, and just got busy with with family stuff. And I already had a <laughs> a few sure. deer in the freezer so it wasn't exactly a priority but um yeah i killed a buck in october in uh pennsylvania 
killed a buck in November in Iowa and then killed a buck in um, North Dakota uh, in December. Very um, nice. Yeah. And then uh, along the way, I, I missed, I missed the, what would have been my biggest buck ever in Idaho in September and missed another buck in, <laughs> in September in North Dakota. So I had, had my fair share of, of, uh, of, of, some not so great times this year as well. So it started out pretty rough and, and turned, uh, turned around quickly for me in October and just kind of skipped to October. Uh, had a, a work hunt. Um, Levi Morgan is on our, our first light pro team and, and, uh, got to go out to his place in, in Pennsylvania and, and do a, a hunt out there with, with, uh, my boss from first light and, and Levi and, and, uh, man, we had a great time just to know cool. him and he's a, he's a great dude. Um, That's a really a lot of cool. fun to be around and, and, uh, you know, the first time I talked to him on the phone quite a bit, it was the first time I met him in person. Just one of those guys, just, you know, you feel like, you know, forever you show up and you're kind of like family and, and, uh, welcomed us with open arms and, and we really had a great time out there. And, uh, he actually killed the buck he was after, um, the first, you know, the first full day we were there, we rolled in, I think on a Monday and. And he killed a, a really nice Pennsylvania buck Tuesday uh, morning. And then I ended up killing a, a really old deer on their place. I think he was seven and a half or eight and a half years old. Killed him that same night. So we had a we had a heck of a day for a, a mid-October hunt. Um, kind of in that quote-unquote October lull period. And hmm. man, we saw a lot of buck activity that whole week. And, and we were hunting uh, kind of like scrapes and, and things like that where they're really starting to pick up and uh man we had a lot of action that week so uh killed killed uh that buck in in october middle middle october and then uh, headed out to iowa for um this is like a personal hunt i've been putting in for this hunt for several years and finally drew a tag and first time getting to deer hunt iowa and i got some buddies out there that uh, got to hang out with that that both of them had already filled tags so it was kind of nice to have a couple guys uh hanging around that had already killed a couple deer and yeah definitely and uh hunted some public there and also some some private that uh they had permission on or that they made that they had leased and um ended up passing a really nice buck on on public um the the first full morning i was there and uh it was a deer like i would have shot basically anywhere else um <laughs> <laughs> if i wasn't in iowa you know just yeah like, the first first morning like literally hours into into my hunt like an hour or two into my hunt and i've got this like decision i've got to make and <laughs> i ultimately decided to pass that deer he's probably he, he was you know at least a three and a half year old he's you know if you know judging like antler size like i'd, I'd said he would probably i'd say he'd probably be like 125 130 inch deer like nine sure. point just really nice really nice yeah buck. and, and uh <laughs> i had this buck stand in bow range for like 15 20 minutes just like hitting scrapes and had another um you know younger deer come in and was like a bully buck and they're i thought they were gonna fight it was really it was an awesome encounter probably one of the coolest encounters i've had in the woods ever just like seeing those deer act like deer and when yeah. you have some of these heavily pressured states you don't get to see that kind of stuff um so that was just a really cool encounter and then um ended up having uh, just a heck of a night too and hunted over a decoy for the first time in in several years just i rarely oh, do cool. it just because it's it's uh you know a lot of the places i've hunted in the past it's just it's not a great tactic um sure end up spooking more deer than <laughs> than uh what it's worth and and uh ended up having a buck come tearing down this fence line 
right at us and and posturing up on that buck and man i i didn't think twice about it I shot that deer the first night as well second night i was there first full day again so quick kind of hunt to iowa all those years putting in for for points to have it end so quick but it was just one of those bucks you don't pass up right um, you, you don't get too many opportunities that deer like that so um filled that tag and and had some good times and and celebrated with friends that were around and hung out for a couple of days just uh you know enjoying it a little bit of a deer camp atmosphere and and uh taking care of some stuff around there that that needs to be done with the deer and all that good stuff and and then uh, went back. So I, I hunted North Dakota in September on a, on a work trip with the guys from the Breaking Point TV. Um, okay, yeah. You guys are familiar with those guys at all. Um, had a had a mishap there in a, in a ground blind. I bounced an arrow off one of those like cross beams and looked like a, oh. a, a, a curveball coming out of my bow. Just a unfortunate oh. miscue on my part in September. So I went back in, in December in the late season uh, to North Dakota and, and – uh, got out there um and we had like one warm day and when i say warm it was like 28 degrees with like a wind chill of like 12 or 15 or something like that and that, that was going to be like the warmest day of the week like two yeah. days later i think it was like negative 30 and uh <laughs> and and what's crazy is like that's what they're looking for out there they're looking for that just super cold weather to get those deer moving man and uh so we went out and the the, the spot we went to is um, just like a piece of private by permission um, that they have access to. And um, <laughs> we weren't in the blind for an hour and the, the buck we were in there after comes, comes right to us on a string and uh, shot him at like 18 yards and watched him go down in the field. So wow. that was a super quick trip. Like I, I was saying this to someone the other day, like I, I hope I didn't use up like all my luck in 2021 <laughs> with like these quick hunts. Like, that just never happens, right? It's like usually down right. like the last day and it's like, all right, this is not going to happen or, or maybe it does happen like late in the week, but rarely does it just come together on, on some of these hunts as quickly as they did for me this year. So I'm, I'm going to knock on wood, do everything I can to, to, to not use up all my luck or hopefully I didn't use up all my luck this year and, and can carry some of this momentum into 2022. But um, yeah, it was a good year for me. I had a, had a lot of fun. Yeah, that's that's so cool, and uh, I know that I know what you're talking about because the the buck I shot this year, um, it was one of those deals where I think I was in the stand for maybe an hour, and uh, you know up pops this this uh, you know just a, a mature four and a half maybe older buck just out of nowhere, and uh, you know it was it was uh, signed sealed and delivered. Within an hour, you know, find yep. him within, find yep. him within 50 yards and, and it's like, okay. Right. Right. It feels great to like fill a tag, but then it's like, well, wait a second. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. Right. That's right. Um, and it's supposed so to be harder than this. To, yeah. Yeah. You don't get to maybe that full experience that you're looking for. So, um, you know, I, I think it, it makes it a little easier to, to, to kill a deer you know on the first night when it's like one of your best ones ever or your best one ever to date like that that iowa deer um, yeah. makes it a little easier to swallow than like if he's just like oh maybe i should have let that one go right um, right but yeah no it was it was um i feel very fortunate this year had had some some great opportunities got to hunt with some great people and um try to try to make uh make every minute of it count and uh it's a good time yeah yeah that's awesome you know I think another thing too that because 
maybe you guys can relate to this. I'm sure you can, at least on some level. When you do have things come together like that, you, you can almost start doing this a little bit of like negative self-talk maybe like, oh man, you really got lucky today, you know, and, 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 uh, imagine if that, if that buck didn't just, uh, walk on a string like that right at you or whatever, you know, you start thinking like all these ways that you could have screwed it up or have, you know, have been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like you've been in plenty of times before then, um, just because you aren't experienced yet or whatever in years past. But I think one of the most, uh, I don't know what the right word is, affirming maybe, one of the most affirming things for a first-gen hunter is when you're starting to just see deer consistently. Would you guys agree with that? Like when, like even mm-hmm. they're, even if they're not like in a, you know, a killable situation or even if you miss a shot, you know, just the fact that that you're you know, seeing deer, I think that's where you really start to feel like, okay, maybe I am, you know, connecting some dots here. (laughs) Would you guys agree with that? Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. I think anytime you put yourself in a position to be within bow range of a deer, whether it's, it could be a a yearling doe, a fawn, you know, whatever you're, you're doing something right. Whether Mm. it's just being in the right location or your scent control or whatever you're doing. Um, anytime you put yourself in a, in a position to be within bow range of any deer, I think you're, you're doing something right. And, um, yeah, I've, I've certainly made my fair share of, uh, mistakes over the years that, uh, you know, you have some of these things come together and it's like, okay, yeah, I've, I've, I've put in some time and made some mistakes and learned from them and, and eventually something's got to go right for you. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to say it for sure. Well, Amos, you, uh, you also were able to, uh, sneak in there and get uh get it done this year fill a tag um can you uh give us the details on that story yes sir um it was um october 30th and uh kind of in this area that's that is actually pretty well um pretty well rut time for us okay actually starts maybe a week or so earlier than that um and uh anyway like you know, kind of like you're just saying about just seeing deer. Um, you know, last year I, I hunted by far harder than I ever have. And, uh, you know, even just in a, these few years that I've been hunting and I saw way more deer than I've ever seen, but, uh, you know, didn't get a, didn't get a shot at any of them. And so, um, you know, coming into this year, I was just all the more determined, I guess you'd say. And, uh, just getting out every time I had a chance and had an opportunity on uh, Saturday, October 30th. And there's a, a man in our church who actually helped me um, uh, clean my the dough I shot a few years back, the first deer I ever shot. And I think it's four out of the last five years, um, he's killed a buck on opening day of muzzleloader, which is usually October 20th through 23rd, somewhere in there, depending sure. on how the day and every year he's done the same thing he's gone out you know given a couple grunts right at light and he's killed a buck so i'm a week after that and he did the same thing this year so you know i've talked to him during the week he tells me the story again and uh so i get out there and uh right about light i give a couple grunts and i heard the deer i heard the buck crashing through the woods um 
walking here kind of out in front of me. And I was sitting kind of on the edge of a little, an old pasture. It's not a pasture anymore, but just kind of open field. And, uh, and sure enough, a few minutes later, I caught movement and uh, he walked out on a trail. And uh, I had a muzzleloader, but I wish I had my bow because he walked right, you know, right in front of me. I think I shot <laughs> him about 12 yards. Oh, and, man. <laughs> <laughs> the first time was, somebody shot a buck with a muzzleloader and could still see him through the cloud of smoke. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. And he, uh, he took off right away. And I was like, oh, man. I mean, you know, you just never know. And uh, right. as, at least as inexperienced as I am. But, uh, but uh, yeah, he fell right in the middle of the field. I mean, just right in sight. And it was, it was crazy. I mean, I was by myself. I was like, you know, going nuts on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> and the interesting thing is, it's like it's like a six-acre place. Uh, my wife's grandparents live there, so it's a very small property. Dude, that is so crazy. I remember you saying that you killed like a turkey out there, and you've killed a doe on six acres. I mean, that <laughs> that is that is some impressive work, man. Yeah, it, it's fun. It, it's its own challenge, you know. And I have always have that that nervousness about how many, you know, how many yards you might run through or whatever. But sure, uh, yeah. <laughs> but so far, it's worked out pretty well. I kind of hung out for a couple minutes and just waited to, you know, hopefully hoping that her grandparents would be awake before I went and you know banged on their door. But it was a uh, it was a, a feeling like you know like no other. I'll never forget it. You know, first buck. So. Um, that's just fueling the fire even more. You know, I can't wait for this year. You know, now that I've accomplished, you know, actually killing a buck, you know, I'm, my next big goal is to, uh, you know, kill a deer with a bow. You know, that's the big, big goal in front of me, you know, so we'll be, we'll be practicing all summer and hopefully be ready come, uh, September. Yeah. I love it, man. That is so cool. And that feeling of, of, uh, you know, a first deer is great. And for, I think probably for most people that ends up being a doe or like a, you know, maybe like a button buck or something or a little spike horn buck or something. But, uh, you got a real nice buck down there in Florida and that feeling is just, it, it, like you said, you're, you're like going crazy on the inside, but you're still, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to spook him onto the neighbors or something like that. So you're trying to be controlled and everything. So yeah, I, I, I remember, I remember that day when that came for me too. That's, that's a day I'll never forget. And I'm sure it's the same for you. So big congratulations to, uh, to both you guys on, on great seasons and, and hopefully some more of that here in 2022, but now we're going to turn the clock back and we're going to go back to those uh those pre-hunting days the the days where we were kind of on the outside looking in a little bit and uh you know i thought it might be kind of cool to hear what your guys's connections were to the outdoors at that time so uh josh before you started hunting did you have much to do with the outdoors were you were you like camping and you know canoeing and backpacking and stuff like that or or uh yeah you, you know were you just kind of uh, you know uh, an, an indoors kind of person no def- definitely not like just an indoors kind of person grew up um camping fishing um doing all that kind of stuff quite a bit um, we had like little pop-up camper as a family. So we did quite a bit of camping growing up and, and, uh, inevitably fished a lot when we camped and, and, uh, um, fit my, 
mom's side of the family always rented this little cabin up in northern Michigan. Like wow, big family. Cool. We'd always go uh up there for like a week every summer. It's right on the lake and I was just always down at the dock fishing the entire time. <laughs> That's like, awesome. Had to had to pull me away from that. So I grew up <laughs> like doing that kind of stuff. I'm also very into sports growing up. Played sure. played baseball all the way through college. So that kind of took oh, up a cool. lot of my time too. Um but yeah, definitely did definitely did outdoorsy stuff, but just didn't grow up in a family that hunted. Um at least like my my immediate family, my mom mom or dad didn't hunt. Mm-hmm. Um had some had some family members. Uh, my dad's from like southern Ohio. Okay. Um, so I had some family members that did hunt. So it always kind of like piqued my interest when we were down there. Um when we were down to visit, you know, seeing, you know, some of their deer mounts and talking to them about that and, and kind of like what you were talking a little bit about, just like hearing the stories and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I was always intrigued by it, um, but just never really had anybody, um, to, to take me out. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds, sounds uh, very similar to, uh, to my story as well, you know, doing all the, doing all the other stuff around it, but, but never, uh, quite having that that avenue in yeah definitely how about you amos what was your what was your pre-hunting connection to the outdoors yeah we um we lived out in the country you know you would say um you know south of jacksonville you know grew up on dirt road you know we had a couple of acres and you know not many not many neighbors but uh um you know no one in my family actually hunted um but we always had uh guns and stuff around you know BB guns, pellet guns. My dad had handguns and stuff. So, you know, we, we like to get outside and shoot the guns a little bit. And um, I loved basketball. That was my my sport, I guess you'd say. So I spent sure. a lot playing basketball in high school and through those years. But I also, um, I didn't even have a truck. I had a little, an old, old school uh, Mitsubishi Eclipse. But I kept like an old it there wasn't you go. Bass. It wasn't even a bass fishing pole, but I kept like an old like surf rod broken down in there, and uh, we'd go we'd go bass fishing in ponds on the way home from school and stuff like that. Nice. So. <laughs> nothing says nothing says millennial like Mitsubishi Eclipse, man. That was a that was the that was a rod to be running around in back in those days. When yeah. I, before I cool. like when I was a teenager, early teenager, that was the car I wanted. Man. <laughs> uh, I was like 12, 13, 14, whatever. Before I got my license, I wanted a Mitsubishi Eclipse. That's right. Was it because of? Uh, were you, did you guys play Need for Speed when you were kids? I did. Oh, yeah. The, uh, yeah, man, the Eclipse yep. was like one of the best vehicles you could get on that game. Yeah, I, I liked. <laughs> I love the Mitsubishi Eclipse as well. So. You had, even though you weren't hunting, at least you had an envi- enviable car there, Amos. <laughs> a little bit. I, I wanted a truck, so I wasn't like all into it. But it was, uh, you know, it was turbocharged, so it would, uh, it would roll. Man, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you uh, always kept uh, kept that speedometer right where your parents told you to keep it too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, man. Doing a little pond hopping down there in Florida for bass. That's like uh, what whitetails are to Iowa. Bass are to Florida, man. That was that was probably pretty cool. Uh, being able to. What, what's your like uh, best bass you've ever caught down there? Oh man. Well, here's the thing. Um, we were going and like our phones didn't even have cameras on them, and you know we weren't weighing them or anything. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know. Um, I don't know. Nothing, nothing crazy. Uh, probably uh six, seven pound. 
Well, that's a pretty good bass, that's man. Good. That's that's pretty good size, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know Those... guys with twelve pounders, so you know. <laughs> oh yeah, yep, yeah. That the warm water down there just keeps them growing. That's that's really cool, though. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I love how similar your guys' stories are to mine too. You know, I was also like really big into sports, and uh, I don't know. Do you, we can get a little philosophical here, but it almost kind of seems like those things kind of can stand at odds with each other. You know what I mean? Where, where, uh, so my, my, uh, brother's best friend, um, he's been on the show a couple times, one of the best hunters I know, just, just, an, you know, really skilled in the woods, really good bow hunter, uh, really good shed hunter. He, he always has that, uh, enviable pile of sheds that he's uh, got at the end of every season. But, um, he would always, he would kind of go on and off again with sports and it was because he loved bow hunting so much and it's almost like the the place that sports and really you know i think we're all pretty similar ages it was kind of like around that point i guess you'd say when tournament teams really started becoming a thing and you know kids would start to kind of specialize in one sport and uh, uh it just took up a lot of time kind of like you guys are saying you know uh especially uh basketball and baseball you know I, my sport was always football but um i definitely played a lot of basketball too and uh you know that that really filled a lot of time and so you know it kind of left you for the summers when you weren't in school and fishing was in the summer you know and camping was in the summer so it just kind of fit i think too and i mean of course we, we all mentioned it as well you got to kind of have that that real driving person that's very close to you that you know is calling shots in your life that's going to take you hunting too i think if if you're going to be out there before then too but it's still really cool that uh, i don't know i think it says something that it wasn't just sports and then video games and tv for us we also had that that real interest with the outdoors and i and i don't think that that happens for every person and i don't think that it necessarily needs to happen for every person although i think that every person needs to care about um the natural side of of our planet you know and uh what that what that means in a bigger scope but but uh you know i i i part of me doing this project of first gen hunter is I think that first gen hunters are kind of wired that way. Like we, you know, like you guys just described where you have that, that natural interest that kind of surrounds it, you know, uh, that, that, that really goes in, goes together with that. But so, uh, let's kind of talk now. Let's, let's keep moving along in our timeline of, of, uh, outdoorsmen and, and eventually hunters here and, uh, breaking the ice to get into hunting. Okay, all you fellow first-gen hunters, veteran hunters, and anyone else with a great big fat hunting dream that you have not yet tapped into, I'm talking directly to you right now, and this is a personal testimony. Yep, you're hearing it straight from the horse's mouth, and that is because I am a customer of good old Alex Gruen over at East to West Hunts, and I'm going to tell you right now, there is not a better hunt planning service 
in the business. Here is how thorough Alex is. I'm just going to give you that that first person testimonial that hopefully will help seal the deal for you. After I get done recording this ad, I'm going to use a promo code that Alex sent to me via text message to save me big bucks on a really nice hunting pack that I've had my eye on for months now. And uh, he just kind of came up with this promo code just yesterday, got it in the mail or something. He said, you know what? I'm going to save this for you. I know you got your eye on this pack. He sent it to me. Alex has sent me workout tips. Alex has been there around the clock from all my inquiries on different pieces of gear, from sleeping bags to tents to rifle scopes. And he's got connections all over the place, so he he knows where to send you to get you the right stuff to not only make it so that you can get out on the hunt, but you can be comfortable, get a good night's sleep, and hunt effectively each and every day of your trip, truly maximizing the dollars spent to get there. And I think that's probably the biggest value in all of this. Alex has so much experience hunting all over North America that when he sends you somewhere, you're not going there blind. No, he's going to send you to specific places within these units that he, either through his vast network with guides and outfitters or from his own personal experience, his own waypoints that he's saved on his hunting maps that he'll share with you so that you have the best chance at being successful. So head over to www.alexgruen.com and do your hunt planning with Alex through East to West Hunts. Be sure though, when you go through and you start checking out all the options, I should say he's got multiple options there, depending on what your the right price point is for you. Be sure you enter the First Gen Hunter podcast listener code, First Gen 10 at checkout. When you enter that in, you'll get 10% off of any service you purchase through Alex. Again, that's www.alexgruen.com. Use the promo code FIRSTGEN, the number 10, at checkout. Save yourself 10% and get going on that hunt that you've been putting on the back burner for all these years. So, Amos, we're going to start us out now. So, you said you've only been hunting for about five years. How did you like finally break the ice on that? So you, you had that natural interest there. What was it that finally you're like, you know what? I'm going. When did like, like what were the circumstances around that? Yeah. Kind of jumping back just a little bit. Um, probably when I was a senior in high school, I finally went on a hunting trip, um, with, one of my best friends, uh, his dad and kind of okay. best friend, we, you know, made a drive up to Georgia and they had a, hunt, you know, a lease up there. Sure. And I was so excited cause I'd been interested in hunting, um, you know, for a long time since I was a little kid. I mean, I was, I was just watching and rewatching, you know, Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett and all that. And just, you know, I was already wanting to from way early, but so finally get a chance to go and we uh, went to a huddle house that night. I don't know if y'all have those around there, but, and my friend got food poisoning. And wait, threw wait, up what, my... what's that called? A huddle house? Yeah. What's yeah. that? It's like awful house. That's okay. Probably... Okay. <laughs> but, uh, my buddy got food poisoning, threw up all night and we just got up in the morning instead of hunting, we just drove home. 
Man, that is just cruel. That's that's more cruel than my skunk hunting story. <laughs> it was terrible. It was terrible. But but anyway, um, no, I got through college and everything. And um, what happened is it was actually my my same friend. You know, he he uh, graduated, moved away, and working you know out of state and everything. But his dad still lives in the area and got a lease. You know, that's only about an hour away. And, you know, they said you can come hunt anytime. So, you know, instead of having to go out of state and drive four or five hours and get out of state licenses or whatever, I had an opportunity, you know, close by to get out there, you know. And um, so I, I did and uh, went for a couple of years, um, you know, as often as I could before I, you know, finally, finally got a doe. But, you know, really their permission on that lease was what, you know, broke down the barrier and having the having somebody there to help me uh, drag and clean and that type of stuff to give me some instruction there was the, was the big thing that broke the barrier for me. That's awesome. So, uh, did you, um, did you tag or bag something that first year or, or, uh, did it take, uh, several seasons after that? Yeah, it took a couple of seasons. Yep. Nothing the first year. I don't know how many sits, you know, it was, but I was getting out there as much as I could. And, uh, I don't even know if I saw any deer, to be honest, that first year. Sure. <laughs> I think I was around too much in the stand. <laughs> yeah, that's hard to get used to when you're first starting out. It's just how to be patient like that, how to sit still. That's cool. So what what did end up being the first thing you ever uh, ended up uh, bagging or tagging? Yep. Uh, first thing I ever uh, killed was a, was a doe. And uh, I was in uh, – it was – it was a, a cold morning. It was actually cold, at least for us. You know, it was probably forties. <laughs> but <laughs> oh man! But uh, it was it was awesome. She was a pretty good sized doe, and uh, I was I was so excited. And uh, I think the most rewarding thing I ever did was when you know getting it processed and and uh, you know grilling some steaks from that doe or whatever, feeding yeah. it to my family. That was just the culmination right there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a that, that is a powerful feeling, um, Josh. I think one of us needs to invite Amos to come hunt up here in the frozen north sometime. Forty degrees, and he's that's a cold morning, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will game changer. Light layers first. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, you'll have to buy some layers, all right. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So, uh, Josh, how about you, man? How did you uh, end up breaking into to hunting you know that's i think amos's story there's is uh probably uh one that's fairly similar in some ways but you know just like the nuance of the the close but no cigar moment of of the uh poisoned waffle house or huddle house or whatever you call it (laughs) (laughs) and what was what was kind of your unique start that you had his his experience is actually very uh like eerily similar to mine um so had had a couple friends in, in high school that that hunted and um like uh, go back behind one of my friend's houses with him and and he had a bow and i had one of his old bows that i was just kind of like shooting on the side and just kind of getting comfortable with and i never hunted with it and we we'd sit behind his house and uh it's like a little subdivision type deal where the, each lot was a couple acres and a um, little bit of woods behind their houses and we'd see some deer, but, but never had any real opportunities, at least when I was with him and had another friend, um, him and his dad invited me 
to go um, to go out during the the firearm season here in Michigan. So I went out with them. I think over two years, I maybe went out with them like a total like three or four days, and oh, um, cool. actually hunted. Um, actually hunted uh, on those on those days, and and uh, again saw some deer. Had a had a really close encounter with the with a buck that just I think I had spooked him um, walking in, and just you know. <laughs> At that point, I had no idea what I was doing right, and uh, <laughs> it just uh, he ran right out in front of me and never, you know, didn't try to stop him or didn't know what I was doing, and uh, then went off to college, and that was that was about the extent of my hunting uh, growing up, and I I never would have considered like I didn't identify myself as a hunter, sure. like I was someone who went out and hunted a few times, yeah. um, but but never would have called myself a hunter. Yeah, went to college, so like essentially like five years didn't hunt at all um played baseball through college so like very uh, like a demanding schedule hmm. um through the fall um fall practice and fall ball that kind of stuff so just never even an opportunity to to think about it and once i graduated uh, um got back into it with my buddy um invited me out again this time i'd, I'd been shooting a bow all summer and and uh, i was gonna I was going to go out and, um, and, and bow hunt. And, uh, I did that first time, first time I ever sat by myself, I drew back and, and, uh, had a debacle of a situation with a, 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 a young deer and, and, uh, ended up like shooting them in the shoulder and we never found them. Oh. Um, it was just like a really kind of <laughs> deflating yeah. moment like go out by yourself and and uh, have an opportunity and botch it like that it's not a good start um hmm. and definitely like questions like am i am i doing why, why am i doing this here and i uh, right, kind of had right. some real had to have some real like self-talk and talk myself through it um but I definitely i knew it was something i wanted to keep trying so i just kept kept working at it and kept trying to get better and, and learn from those mistakes and um, I ended up killing my first year was a, was a late point buck, um, with my muzzle loader, like December, I think it was like 17th of 2012. That so would okay. have been, I think my third hunting season. Cause I started in 2010. So 2010, 2011, and then, uh, killed my first year, my third hunting season. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Those, those moments like that, like you mentioned where, you know, I mean, there's no other way to say it really than just a really raw feeling, you know, when, oh, yeah. when it, when it falls apart like that and, oh, and horrible. Yeah. Horrible. And, and I think it's important though, that we, we share that part of it, you know, because it's gonna, if you hunt long enough, that kind of thing happens. I mean, it just does. And, yeah, yep. and I think, like you said, you start to have that thought of, okay, is this, is this really something that I'm going to continue to see through or do I need to find something else to do, you know? And, and, uh, you know, is this maybe even, is this justifiable? Not from a, not from like a, you know, you saw you necessarily go full on anti hunter, <laughs> but you're like, well, you know, there's all these guys that are really good at this already. Maybe I just need to leave, leave this to them. And I need to just keep, uh, doing life as, uh, you know, how pretty much everyone else in my family uh, does where, you know, yeah, you don't have anything against hunting, but, but, uh, we do these things over here instead. And, you know, I've, I definitely had a couple moments like that myself where you start to question it. But 
what, what I think is so awesome about both your stories is the importance of those friendships, you know? Um, so like I said, I didn't, you know, there wasn't hunting in my family growing up, but, uh, my brother, Jake, uh, he, that same friend I was just talking about a, a little bit ago, um, he actually took Jake out turkey hunting. Jake didn't even have a gun, didn't have a bow or anything. He was just there to observe, you know, and just see what hunting was all about. And, um, you know, fast forward, I don't know, maybe close to five, 10 years down the road. And, uh, you know, Jake's, Jake's already uh, got a couple of deer, uh, under his belt and, uh, um, killed a really nice buck last year with his bow. And a lot of that just goes back to that friendship. And, uh, you know, I think it's just really cool to see how, how that played out for both of you guys and, and even their persistence too, because, uh, I think Josh, you summed it up. Well, you know, you go out a few times, you don't really think of yourself as a hunter necessarily. You, you think of yourself as somebody who, one of the things you like to do on occasion when the, when in season and when the time is right is you go hunt. Whereas now, uh, your very job or is when with, you get invited by somebody, <laughs> right? Yeah, right, right, right. And, and, uh, now your very job, you know, the thing you do every day is, is totally wrapped up in that. So yeah. How important is that? You know, those, those kinds of relationships and, and having those hunting, those hunting mentors. Well, we've kind of, we've kind of talked about it a little bit here. And, uh, before we dive into, you know, some of the more philosophical stuff here in this back part of the show, um, what were your guys's biggest first gen hunter moments? And uh, I'm going to give you a second to think about that. Although you probably don't need that long to think about it. <laughs> But, uh, like what was your, your, your biggest blunder? I'm going to share mine and uh, while you guys think of yours, but, uh, I figured this might be, you know, kind of helpful for our, uh, our, our listeners here. If they're, uh, they're tuning in and they've, they're kind of need a little confidence boost. They can, they can hear things that we've done, but, um, uh, my biggest first gen, uh, blunder came the very first time I ever went deer hunting. Um, the, it, it was the second time I ever hunted period. The, the first time I hunted, I did some pheasant hunting with my, my grandpa on uh, the farm that I live on now and uh, didn't get anything. Saw a giant, like, you know, at the time I had no idea what I was looking at really, but it was, it, it turned out, I ended up seeing him a year later after I knew some more, it was probably a one seventies double drop time. Uh, I don't know, at least a 12, 12 point. And, uh, those drops on him were like, I mean, at least, at least eight inches long. I mean, just a, just a freak. I saw that the very first time I ever went hunting, I was pheasant hunting, of course, <laughs> but then, uh, I went deer hunting, like, I don't know, a month later, I, I did one of the gun seasons. I only had time to go out and do one morning to like midday hunt. And, uh, kind of like Amos was saying, you know, you go, you get in there, you sit down and you just start getting impatient. I was, I was like woefully underdressed. Like I was freezing to death. I mean, just, just freezing. My feet were frozen. Um, I was wearing blue jeans, of course, insulated blue jeans and, uh, like a Carhartt and, uh, um, a, uh, you know, hunting a blaze orange vest and a blaze orange hat. And I was just frozen. And, uh, so 
I'm not seeing anything. Get impatient, of course. And uh, I get up and I start walking around. I'm like, I got to go find where the deer are at. You know, just totally terrible idea. You know, and I'm thinking like that 170 is going to walk out in front of me or something. And I'm going to be the one guy in the history of deer hunting to, you know, first time he ever goes deer hunting, he's all by himself and he shoots this, you know, uh, field and stream cover buck or something like that. And I'm walking around just, and, and what I do is I start like flushing pheasants while I'm walking around looking for deer. I mean, I know this just sounds so ridiculous, but I'm like flushing pheasants left and right. And I'm like, you know what, if I'm not going to see any deer and I'm using a, a smooth bore Remington 870 shotgun for, uh, for my hunt. Like if I'm not going to see any deer, I'm going to get these slugs out of here <laughs> and i'm gonna put some uh i'm gonna put some pheasant loads in and uh so i switch over to those and i'm walking around walking around of course now i'm not seeing any pheasants anymore and uh i'm i'm i go and sit down you know in a different spot for a while totally just leaving scent everywhere you know no chance of anyone ever hunting this place again that season i'm sure because of me and uh just walking through all the timber and everything i mean just a disaster right and uh finally i'm like all right i'm heading back to the house this is you know i'm not seeing anything i don't know what i'm doing this is i'm this is i'm just wandering out here like a crazy person and uh i walk back i get ready to like empty my gun so i can cross this creek and here are four does just standing there just like boom we run into each other and uh i still had a pheasant load in my shotgun <laughs> So I'm like fumbling with that thing, trying to huck these, these, uh, you know, I'm running the pump on this gun, trying to huck these, uh, pheasant loads out of my shotgun and, uh, totally just scare the deer off. Finally get a, uh, I did get like one shot off right before they spooked with a slug and totally missed. And, uh, yeah, I just felt like such a, uh, such a, uh, noob at that point, just total new to the game, knew I had a lot to learn, but I think it was enough excitement, you know, to like make me willing to come back another year and give it another try. But that was probably my most first gen moment ever. Uh, you guys got one you're willing to share? Oh yeah. I've got plenty to choose from. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, I'll give you one from, from this year. Um, I've decided to at least give a somewhat of a run, to uh duck hunting okay on the same property um where i shot my buck there's a little pond and i have flushed wood ducks off of it three or four times and um so got off work early one day and went over there and i was like i'm gonna see if i can flush them up and shoot one this is gonna be great and uh got it out you know started getting ready and stuff no shells i mean what an idiot (laughs) did you walk all the way out there too no i didn't i I didn't walk out to the pond but i was just like man this is ridiculous i can't believe i did that oh that's such a horrible feeling when you get like all ready to go hunt and you realize you just forgot like some critical piece of gear i always keep (laughs) this extra release with me uh in Mm -hmm. like uh uh, my hunting pack just that way i don't get up into the stand and be like go to clip into my bow and be like uh wait a minute here <laughs> but yeah that's that's pretty bad that's that's pretty raw for sure well josh you got one that you're uh you're willing to share with everybody uh yeah i've, I've 
Jameis is sad. I've got plenty I could I could share. I'm trying to think of like the best one. I've, I've made plenty of dumb mistakes over my 10, 12 years of hunting from leaving my quiver of arrows in the truck to oh. get all the way out to the stand and realizing you don't have that. This other dumb stuff you get. Um, I'll, I'll give you one from just as maybe seven, eight years ago. Um, okay. So pretty, pretty early on still, I was only been hunting for a couple of years and this is, this may not be not, not necessarily a, a hunting related mistake, but, but a woodsmanship mistake here. Okay. Um, go get invited up to my good friend's deer camp in Northern Michigan, uh, for the rifle opener up there. Um, first time up there, it's like, it's not a huge, it's not a huge like acreage, property, but it butts up to hundreds of thousands of, of state forest area. Sure. And it's just sure. like all this like cedar swamp stuff Okay, and just thick, nasty. So, um, we're going in there. He's like, okay, just, you know, we get to the spot where we're going to split off. And he says, we're going in the dark first morning. And he goes, just follow this line of cattails all the way back. And, um, actually I think it was the second morning. Cause I'd got in there. I got in there just fine the first day. Like follow the follow these cattails back, and then there's a there's a ladder stand against this this one of the only big trees left back there, and and uh, just get up in there and you'll be good to go. So made it in the first day, and I think this I think it was the second day. I was like, all right, piece of cake, get oh, back no. in there. I and, see where and this is going. <laughs> I <laughs> I walk I walk right by it. <laughs> I am just walking in circles. For, and we were getting in there pretty early, right? We're trying to get sure. in there before daylight. And uh, and so I'm just walking around, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes and probably just getting myself turned around in circles <laughs> and no idea what's going on. And then uh, my, my buddies always give me uh, a hard time because I, I maybe have a little bit of a um, uh, a weak stomach, if you will. Um, so I got myself all worked up and uh, nature was calling and uh, – <laughs> And <laughs> let's just say I had, a, I had a debacle of a morning and, and lost some pieces of clothing to uh, help clean up and and uh, ended up finding ended up finding that tree stand after daylight. I was only maybe fifty yards from it, but I just had went too far. And just, I I probably walked in a circle right past it multiple times. And uh, needless to say, I didn't see any deer that morning. But uh, it was <laughs> that was one of those things. Like, what am I doing out here? And that was before the days of like the the all the Onyx maps or whatever on your phone, and and uh, didn't have any of that kind of stuff. So I was just basically going in blind, and and uh, that was that was one of those moments where I wish I could have back. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Instead, you're sitting there in the uh, tree stand and broad daylight with no socks on yeah, that's... yeah exactly, exactly. Yep. <laughs> no that's those stories are awesome guys i'm glad i'm glad that you guys could uh, commiserate with me there a little bit and you know that's just part of the journey but i also think that it's stories like those that make those moments like how we started this episode out where we talk about the success that we've had that makes that success so much sweeter. You know what I mean? It's uh it's not something that we were brought up around and we were watching guys have success all around us. And then it was just kind of, you know, like this, this coming of age or this rite of passage where we, you know, we're out there and, and uh, we get our turn to pull the trigger or something, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that at all. 
and that those experiences aren't aren't valid or or important too but I think there is, you know, maybe it's just the the right salve for the the embarrassing wounds of uh, <laughs> of blunders like uh, the ones we just told about. But there is a there is a nice sweetness to when it does all come together, and you're rewarded for your patience and long suffering and <laughs> everything else that you endure to get to that point. So, yeah, that's uh, that's that's those those stories are awesome, guys. Thank you. All right, well, let's uh, let's kind of take this up a notch here, and um, maybe you guys can relate to this one. You're you're both married, both family guys, and. Um, you know, uh, sometimes I just sit there and think like, man, I am really lucky that somebody thought I was worth, uh, spending the rest of their life with, because <laughs> I can't imagine there's too many of those people that exist that would, where that would have, that they would have, they would have been willing to spend that level of time with me and put up with my nonsense. But, uh, um, our wives, they, uh, they know us well. And, um, uh, my wife, she uh, told me recently, uh, so she knew me well before hunting was a part of my life. You know, I was always, like I said, interested in it, but um, I think I was probably married for maybe three years already before I uh, started hunting to at least two, probably at least two and a half. Uh, so, you know, plus all the years of dating and everything, I, I was just a different person, you know? And um, she recently told me, she's like, since you started hunting, you've become a lot more interesting, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's been like life changing for me in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of things I think that go into that, 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 uh, make us that, you know, kind of changes that way. But, um, do you guys feel the same way that hunting is, has changed you? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I, I mean, like, uh, yeah, for sure. I, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what are some things that you think have, maybe shaped you a little bit, uh, that have come out of hunting? That's a good question. I was kind of like this already, but I think, uh, um, people notice people started to notice that I am observant. Hmm. I think, <laughs> I think that kind of goes back to hunting. Um, you know, you spend a lot of time just observing and I don't know, just kind of making, making judgments off what you see going on and anticipating things and stuff like that. Um, you know, I'd say that's probably one way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think about that a lot too. How much, like when you're driving down the road, you know, how much more you care about like, all right, Hey, look, there's some, uh, cedar trees over there. I wonder if there'd be any sheds under there. Oh, look, a South facing slope. <laughs> I need to, <laughs> I need to drop a pin to come back here and, uh, look for some, uh, sheds. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely, definitely the observant. I would agree with that. That's a good one. Josh, what do you think, man? Yeah. I agree with the observant one. That's definitely um, that's definitely uh, a good one. Uh, I think probably the biggest one is, and and this may sound a little cliche, but just like uh, your relationship with with food and kind of mm. um, all that goes into that, um, you know, and and the food chain and all that kind of stuff just um, makes you so much more hyper aware of that because you're much more a part of it than just going to the the store and, and buying some meat off the shelf. Um, it's kind of changed how, how we eat as a family and, and buy groceries as a family. All that kind of stuff has, has changed. 
Yeah, that that's a really good one too. And and I totally agree with that. Totally. Yeah. I, I used to, I don't know. I used to kind of have this, like, it was just ignorance really, but I used to, you know, kind of be like, Oh, you know, organic food, blah, blah, blah. That's, you know, what a waste of money. What a scam. But you're right. You know, it's like, even though that that's different than like saying eating a backstrap or something, it's it's all it all comes together with it like you said like it changes how you buy groceries <laughs> you know you you start to look at that stuff and be like yeah you know i do want something that is more natural or or uh i do care about the nutrition level in in uh my food more than i i did previously yeah you just you just start caring more i think about stuff like that and it's made me it's made me a much more like active participant in the kitchen too. Like I'd always help, but like, sure. It's like, okay, I want to make this and I'm going to figure out how to do this. And, um, you know, taking the steps to then process your own and do all that kind of stuff. It just like, just makes you a lot more active in some things that, um, maybe you weren't previously, or maybe you didn't care about as much previously. Yeah. I I love that. (laughs) Yep. For sure. You, you have a lot more interest in, in what it is that you're actually doing. It's almost like it's another, it's another part of the hunt in a way, you know, when you're, when you're preparing it. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I think another thing that maybe you guys can, can, uh, relate to with this too, is the conservation side of hunting. You know, I'm not just talking about like, a, Oh, I buy a hunting license, you know, therefore, uh, I'm a, I'm a conservationist or I, uh, I, you know, hunting is an important part of conservation. Both of those things are true (laughs) as far as that, you know, being helpful for conservation. But I think it has made me much more in tune beyond just that, you know, looking for ways to pay it forward from a conservation standpoint of, you know, maybe it's doing some, some, uh, volunteer work or doing some, uh, you know, work around on my, on my own properties to make them a little bit better or, you know, start, start planning some big projects for the future to, to, um, you know, have some kind of, some kind of value for conserving the land or, or getting it back to more of its native natural state or whatever. Would you guys say that you've had that, that, uh, awareness, that conservation awareness heightened since you started hunting as well? No, yeah, no doubt about it. From, uh, you know, from joining organizations like NWTF and NDA Mm -hmm. to, uh, um, you know, I just noticed, you know, when they demolish, you know, like 15 acres or whatever and build a neighborhood, I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. You know, (laughs) know, I never thought about that before, but, man, I do now. Yeah. You, you know, I, I kind of want to camp out on that for a second here. I thought I just had the other day because that same thing has started to, to catch my attention too in recent years that you just mentioned there, Amos, with the, you know, kind of how things get rezoned, you know, that would be really a good thing for hunters to look at from a, uh, you know, like a, a public service or public involvement standpoint is, is 
uh, find a way to, uh, I'm sure it's an elected position, but to, to get into those offices where zoning decisions are made, you know, like we're going to take this and change it from ag ground into commercial development or, or into housing development or whatever, and, and be on there and, and let your voice be heard about like, Hey, you know, maybe we need to not be turning so much of this ground over into a kind of almost a permanent loss situation, you know, where it does become housing or it does become a, uh, you know, a, a, a factory or plant or something like that. But, but yeah, I think definitely there's, there's some, you know, some, some ground to be gained there by, by doing so. So yeah, I think that's, that's a fantastic point. Josh, have have you noticed that, uh, that that's affected the way you, uh, view conservation as well since you started hunting? Oh yeah. I mean, hundred percent. I mean, I ended up working for a conservation group. Yeah, that's um, true. (laughs) Because that's true. hundred percent. It's, it's changed my view and, and, um, you know, it's, it's you know, like you said, buying a hunting license or a fishing license or whatever, or, or even just, you know, buying a firearm that, that contributes to Pittman Robertson dollars. Mm-hmm. Like that stuff's great. But like in today's world, it's just, it's not quite enough. Yeah. Um, like you, you need to, you need to speak up on, on legislation that may impact hunting or public access or, or whatever it is. I mean, you got to join the groups that are doing the work on the ground um that that pay people to keep tabs on all that kind of stuff um you know it's you got to be much more involved uh, at least in my opinion um than just going out and buying your license i mean that's great that's that's a great first step but get your hands dirty go out and do some habitat work on some some public land or or mentor a new hunter through different programs that are out there um, all kinds of different things you can do. Even just a, a donation to a group is, mm-hmm. is helping. So, um, yeah. you know, more people can get involved with that kind of stuff, uh, better, all kinds of groups out there doing good work, you know, uh, NDA, NWTF, Rocky Mountain Health Foundation. Um, you know, there's all kinds of them. trout unlimited, not just hunting organizations, but fishing too. So, mm-hmm. um, a lot, a lot of good stuff happening out there. Uh, you know, and then on the access side of like BHA and, I, I think access is probably the, the number one issue we're going to face moving forward. Yeah. Um, you know, just less areas for, for people to get out and hunt. And that's why maybe sometimes it feels like there's more hunters on the landscape. It's probably just because there's less landscape for those hunters to, to spread out on. Yeah. Um, so access is, is super important. Yeah. I love that, man. You like transitioned me perfectly here. Cause that's kind of the last big thing I wanted to, I wanted to hit here, you know, hunting. And really, even when I started this podcast, which would have been back in June of 2020, when I launched the first episode. So the one that we're recording right now, I believe is going to end up being episode 81. So here we are 81 episodes in on this show. And in that time, in that year and a half, um, you know, the hunting mission when I first started, and you guys probably remember this, uh, it was very much so we just need to get more people hunting. We got to get more people. We got to get more people. We got to get more people. And uh, it, I, I still feel that way. I think the more people that we, we have hunting, uh, the better all of these things that we just talked about get because the voice gets stronger and not just the voice gets stronger as far as an activism standpoint goes, but you just have more people that give a care. (laughs) You know what I mean? You have more people that are more observant. Like Amos mentioned, you have people that care about where their food comes from and they're not just okay with like, uh, uh, the way things are done, uh, 
corporately from a food standpoint. You you have people that that um you know I had a, I had a, a a guy write in um uh uh or just uh send me a note today uh, a listener um who we're going to we're going to actually take some of his thoughts cuz he, he had some really great points and we're going to talk about them in a future episode but but he even talked about just from a a gun ownership standpoint now I'm not like a huge uh 2A activist or anything like that but I I certainly will will be shedding tears if uh <laughs> I'm not able to to hunt with with a gun anymore you know I I like pheasant hunting you can only really do that with a gun I'm not good enough with a bow <laughs> do any pheasant hunting so even from a standpoint like that you know you got more people that that care about protecting rights like that and um uh, we see uh you know from an activist standpoint in hunting we do see some hunting privileges that are going away and so i do think that it's incredibly important that we are still adding to our ranks as hunters people that feel the just like we you know have developed through this whole episode that feel that tug inside of them to get them outside, get them hunting, that we help bring those people to the table. But I also feel like that mission has kind of evolved since then or has developed since then. And and I I, I kind of feel like, uh, you know, we got to keep developing this movement that really has started of getting more people into hunting and we got to kind of push it forward. Would you guys agree with that? Like we, we got to do more than just getting people here. We got to get them plugged in uh, and uh, in a way that's going to keep them around. And uh, I think that happens through a couple of different things, but um, have you guys kind of noticed that same thing, that same trend, I guess you'd say. Oh yeah. I mean, getting them in is, is awesome, but you gotta keep them (laughs) to an extent. Right. Right. And, and I think a big part of that is education, you know, um, education on all the things that we just mentioned, the food conservation issues, um, uh, even some of the, the issues that we can uh, take action on, but what about just education on what a white tailed deer is (laughs) or what a, you know, what a what a uh eastern uh wild turkey is compared to uh uh those uh rios down in kansas or or uh farther west yet even or or miriams or uh the ones that i can never remember how to say uh down by you uh, is it is it pronounced well and they've kind of gone through a name change too right os is it osiol is that how you say it down there uh, I don't know if it's correct. We just say Osceola. Osceola, that's right. So we have a town here in Iowa that's spelled the same way but pronounced differently, and I can never remember which is which anymore. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's even just teaching people about that, right? And uh, would you guys agree with that? Maybe, like, almost not just a quantity but also a quality of, of hunters. Would you guys agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean – Man, how many newspaper articles or like links on you know social media do you see to some article about some deer related thing and it's like a red stag mm, or like a yeah. fallow deer from like <laughs> Europe or something? Yeah. Like I see that all the time in Michigan. It's like white-tailed deer is a state animal of Michigan, and we can't even get like a cover photo of a of an article to be a white-tailed deer. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think like education is key. I think you're also seeing a shift. You've seen this over the last couple of years in the types of hunter recruitment 
um, programs. Mm-hmm. I think you're seeing more of a focus on uh, the adult age class as opposed yeah. to kids. Mm-hmm. Um, like kids programs are great. They're, they're fantastic. They feel really great to do as a, as someone hosting those types of events or volunteering for those, you know, getting kids out. That's super noble. Great, um, great event. Great thing you're doing. Um, and I, I hope we continue to have those to, to get young kids interested in it. But, you know, those kids are coming, you know, eight, nine, you know, 12, 13 year old, however they are, if they're coming from a non-hunting family, what's, what's the realistic chances that they're going to be able to get back out yeah. and hunt without a program like that? Right. So I think there's so many years of those kind of events happening where they just weren't, they weren't, you know, they weren't, you know, converting the, those folks, those kids into, into hunters on their own, um, yeah. at least at a high rate. Where you've seen like a lot of the, the groups now, like, like NDA, for example, they have their field to fork program where the focus is on adults, probably like the three of us that all showed some sort of interest in hunting growing up, but just maybe never had anybody to take them out and and pair them up with a mentor and show them the ropes for, you know, we always try we always try to do those events for more than just a weekend or maybe have like one focused weekend and then you know, hopefully their mentors can can get them out later in the year. But these are folks that can go out and, and replicate that on their own. They typically have a little bit of money or a, a vehicle um, that they can drive themselves to a piece of public land to hunt. So I think you've seen a big shift in the whole kind of R3, recruit, retain, um, uh, reactivate kind of movement um, to, to more of an adult-focused uh, programs where there's hmm. you know a lot better return on the investment in, in terms of like creating new hunters um a lot of these programs like nda does it um nwtf has some programs that i've partnered with in the past and all these all these events are, are keeping track of these folks through surveys and things like that and we found like over 80 percent of our participants will buy a hunting license that following year then too. wow so that's that's pretty darn good yeah uh pretty good darn good rate of uh, conversion of, of new hunters yeah yeah no fooling there man that's that's awesome yeah i i wholeheartedly agree with with uh, everything you just mentioned there josh it's it's all good and it's all worth it and i think it's a much smarter approach to to uh focus on on uh you know, real first gen hunters that are are old enough to know that they're going to be a first gen hunter, and old enough to know yeah. that that uh, they that um, you know it really is kind of an emotion that tugs at you, where you, that curiosity just kind of urges you on. You know, kind of like what Amos was talking about when uh, his yeah. uh, first hunting trip got cut short because his friend got sick. You know, that excitement <laughs> of finally being able to get to go and uh, you know yeah. keeping that burning alive as an adult when you can start calling those shots for yourself well and then we've had countless um you know instances too where where these folks have kids at home they go get their kids involved in it mm, yeah so kind of kind of killing two birds with one stone a lot of times where they they're super motivated then to get their family you know family involved in it as well yeah definitely you know uh, a question that i i missed that i had typed that that was one that i, I really wanted to to work in and, and and what you just said there josh reminded me of that but you know one of the cool things that goes along with being a first-gen hunter is you're surrounded by so many people that you care a lot about that don't hunt and 
when you have that success, when you fill that tag, when they see that animal either in a picture or in person or they're, they're even eating it, you know, uh, their reaction is one of, of curiosity and one of, uh, you know, you can sense like they're proud of you. They, they, you know, this is something new to the family. I remember, um, after talking to my dad, after I, I success, I had my first, you know, quote unquote successful hunt, even though you can measure a successful hunt, but in many different ways, of course, but where I had, I had bagged something finally, it was a pheasant and, uh, my dad was excited. You know, he has no interest really in going hunting other than just maybe having some time to spend with me. But he was, he was genuinely excited because this was new to our family. And so, you know, kind of going off of that with what, what Josh said there, when you do have, uh, I believe the old term, I don't, this term's not really used that much anymore, but people used to always say adult onset hunters. When you have an adult onset hunter or a first gen hunter, that's an adult, then they, um, uh, they do go home and their family gets to, to see the pride that they have and they get to feel pride, you know, they get to feel proud of them as well. And, um, you're now a source of information and a, you know, an authority, so to speak on a totally new topic within your family. And I, I mean, I think that is just so cool, uh, such a cool side of, of all of it, but, but, um, yeah, all good. Really all good. So, yeah, that's really cool. Well, guys, as we uh, wrap this one up, any uh, last words of advice that you would uh, pass along to uh, folks looking at get, getting into hunting as an adult, as a first-gen hunter? I'd say just give it a try, you know. Um, don't wait until you have the most expensive gun or bow or whatever, you know. Just get what you can and and give it a try. Um, not to say to uh, not do your research or not be prepared. Um, you want to know what you're doing, where you're aiming, um, what you're going to do after you kill something, you know, have a plan in place, but you know, uh, don't let, don't be held back by uh, thinking, you know, you don't have, um, you know, a, a nice enough gun or scope or bow or whatever, you know, just, uh, find, find some land near you, whether it's a, you know, someone, you know, who owns land or public land and uh, get your license and, uh, you know, you know, try to get out there and, and give it a shot. Yeah. Love it. Great advice. You can't, you don't know what you're missing out on until you get out and give it a shot. Absolutely. Very good. Josh, what do you think, man? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say a couple things I, I'd say if you can try to find yourself a mentor or someone that, you know, that hmm. would be willing to, to help you out and answer questions and, and, you know, they don't need to be with you every time, but if you're in a situation where you need some help, whether you, you you end up killing a deer or something, you're not exactly sure what to do. It's always great to have someone to call. Um, there's so much information out. There's probably too much information out there these days. And you, know, you got so much information at the tips of your fingers on your phone or YouTube or whatever, like look at all that stuff, consume that stuff, but and just be willing to make mistakes and, and learn as you go. Um, you know, you got to just experience it and, and learn from those mistakes. And, um, man, I've made plenty of, plenty of them in my day and uh, I'll still make them. I, I, oh, I know yeah. I'm going to make them prior to the day I die doing this. <laughs> we all will. Um, exactly. But just enjoy it. Have fun. You know, it's, it's a serious thing. Um, you know, it's a serious thing what we're doing and, and taking the life of an animal. Um, but try to enjoy it the, the best you can. And, and, um, 
uh, yeah, get out there and, and give it a go. Find, you know, maybe find a, a local organization or a group or um, like-minded people that you can um, you know, start associating with and, and learning from. Yeah, definitely. Love it. Great, great advice, fellas. I, I, I echo everything you guys just said for sure. And uh, these, these two fine fellows that uh, joined uh, on this episode again, Amos Medford of the wannabe hunting podcast and Josh Hilliard of first light, uh, just uh, stellar guys to follow on social media and uh, keep up with their content and uh, you know, uh, definitely tune into Amos's podcast, but Amos, how can uh, people track you down? What's the best way for people to follow along? Yeah, I'm most active on Instagram and it's just at wannabe hunting podcast. And then you can just search wannabe hunting podcast on iTunes or Spotify or whatever and uh, listen from there. But uh, um, that's where that's where I do most of the most of the posting and updates and stuff. And uh, definitely really appreciate the opportunity to come on tonight. And uh, yeah, man, and it's been awesome. Uh, nice to meet you kind of josh and uh i'm i'm honored and i'm humbled you know i'm i'm just trying to do a little little podcast over here and learn a little bit and you know you're leading off with hunting with uh, levi morgan so uh, that's, that's <laughs> awesome. i'm jealous and uh it's cool to cool to cool to talk with you a little bit yeah you know you know josh i'm glad you mentioned that because i did want to ask was there like i mean you're you're shooting with you know one of the most, if not the most accurate archer on the planet right now, right? <laughs> With Levi Morgan. Oh, and yeah. and uh, yeah. was there, like, when you're drawing, I'm sure he saw you shoot at some point. Was there, like, was that, like, a nerve-wracking experience? Oh, 100%, especially when I'm coming <laughs> off of of two bucks that I've missed in September already. Oh, and, man. And having to go there. So that, that was, uh, <laughs> there's already a lot of self-doubt going, uh, going on in my head and then showing up at, uh, at his place. Um, definitely, definitely added to it, but boy, I'll tell you what, there's, there's no better feeling than, than seeing that arrow hits Mark and, and knowing you made a good oh, shot yeah. as a way to the world off your, off your shoulders. But yeah, it's funny. It was, that definitely, definitely was laying heavy on <laughs> Man, I can only imagine. I'd be shaking in my boots. That is that that is impressive, though. I mean, way to yeah. way to go in there and uh, swing at the big pitch. Yeah, I, I shot my bow a ton between that that September hunt, and I had about a month in between hunts. And I'll tell you what, I was flinging a lot of arrows every day. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> well, that's awesome, though that that you were able to you know really get in there and hold your own and represent all of us first gen hunters well well how can people uh follow along with you josh yeah so i um i'm somewhat active on on instagram um uh just josh.hilliard um my handle or my page um do a little bit on there a little bit of everything um and then if you're interested in anything that first light's doing uh you can our, our website's just firstlight.com uh mm. we got a a, a growing youtube page as well that has some some great content on it um hunting related also some educational stuff on layering systems and our clothing systems all that kind of stuff so um firstlight.com is probably the best best spot to 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 find any info about first light 
Yeah, that's awesome. Love it. And uh, an excellent company for sure that makes makes super uh, high quality, you know, that really can't be beat quality uh, hunting gear. And that stuff, I used to think, you know, buying gear like that is like, eh, yeah, maybe if I ever, you know, uh, uh, take it seriously enough. Well, I finally have gotten to that point in my hunting experience where I've started to to use premium gear like that and it does make an incredible difference <laughs> i mean just yeah, it's uh, definitely. You, there's no doubt it, that you, it's noticeable you, yeah and, and you hunt better you know you really do because you're you're more comfortable you're not all encumbered by you know like bulk and stuff from having to wear inefficient layers and and so forth but mm -hmm. there's yep. there's uh there's definitely something to be said for for uh buying gear like uh first light puts out so yeah. make sure you guys do yeah, great gear great gear and great people there's a lot of serious serious hunters that work there and and uh are, are very passionate about what they do and you can see that in in the product uh, they make yeah, definitely. Yeah, one thing I've always appreciated about First Light that is just very obvious to tell whenever you hear somebody from there talk is they try, you know. They they sometimes companies once they have that success and they get they get like their customer base locked in, they just kind of I don't know, they kind of hit cruise control. First Light has not been that way. First Light is continually continually innovating and coming out with new uh yeah, new things that really set the tone for the whole industry. So I, I've always really appreciated that about first light. So yeah, definitely money well spent if you head over there and, um, uh, you know, you got good people working there like Josh. So make sure you, you do go check them out. <laughs> Give Amos a follow and a subscribe on, uh, his Instagram and, uh, his, uh, podcast and, uh, definitely uh, follow along with, uh, Josh and first light. And, uh, thank you so much for everyone tuning in. I didn't, the, we kind of planned this uh, episode, uh, I don't know, maybe a, a week ago, and I I wanted it to be just first-gen hunters on this episode. I thought really hard about having Brandon, the normal co-host, come in and lend his 30-some years of hunting experience uh, uh, to, to weigh in and, and you know, uh, uh, comment on things, but you know what? I think it was pretty cool to just have this, this, uh, first gen conversation, but don't forget about Brandon. Make sure you head over to the huntfishlife.com and don't forget about their Facebook page, Instagram page, and check out all their stuff. And as well as our fellow Michigan buddy, our good friend, Alex Gruen, uh, head over to alexgruen.com. Don't forget about that promo code for Shen 10, save yourself 10% off some of his premium hunt planning tag application services. It's 2022 is young, still many good things to get out there and chase after this by, by the end of this year. So make sure you talk to Alex. And uh, when you're all done checking out all these fine folks, head over to firstgenhunter.com and you'll find links to all the social media pages, the latest articles that I've been writing, and every single one of the 81 episodes of this year podcast. And, uh, you know, until then, though, take care and take someone hunting.